You're listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little mudsucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Hellers the king. Oh. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. So, um, and my dog's just standing at the door. My dog is just standing at the door. So then you let the dog out and then it wants to come back in and then wants to go back out. Like, I mean, does your dog do that? Do you have a dog? Um, so today on the show, I had none other than Lindley Hurrell come in and have a chat to me. Um, feel so honored to have had Lindley in. Um, sh- well, you know, like uh, I had to get up at six today and I had a fair few things on and, I, you know, I was pissing and moaning. I, I, <laughs> I don't always like to be busy. Um, I like to swan around and uh, today was pretty busy. Anyway, then Lindley came over. And we had a, a chat, which I think that you will really like um, and feel inspired by Lindley's story. Um, I mean, she is a go-getter who has had uh, – I'm not going to wreck the story for you, but, she, you know, she she had a hiccup. She's had a hiccup and she's living through it. It's a fucking serious hiccup. And she, in, in the face of adversity, is really standing strong. And, uh, and Lindley – Awesome, really uh, stoked to have got to hang out, have a cup of coffee and uh, shoot the breeze. Um, always like shooting the breeze. Um, so anyway, I don't want to go on too much, but Lindley, is an, uh, she works for Patagonia. She's an activist in the fight for the bite. She's an amazing surfer. Um, and yeah, so look, her life is her life and she'll tell, tell you more about it in the chat and I, I won't, I don't want to wreck it for you all. Um, it's tricky, isn't it? You know, like this life in this modern world, um, you know, when little little things that you love have just been torn down, houses, trees, for new things. Um, and I, I, I love old things, you know, like older cars, uh, old friendships, you know, old, old houses, um, old restaurants. I, I like a place that's worn in. I like things to feel comfortable. I don't like the sterility, sterility is that a word, uh, of, of a new, new, the new. I like shit worn in. And, um, and, and so, you know, I, I'm driving towards, I love, the Winky Pop Bells Beach area as it is, you know, it's they've already fucked with it. They've really have, but you know, for all intensive purposes, it's kind of it's kind of there, you know. No massive infrastructures. You know, they have to tinker with the car park a bit, don't they? Um, and they have to fuck with the helipad a little bit, don't they? Um, but anyway, look, it's 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 kind of there. But now they want to put this walkway in, and I tell you what, I'm going to dig my fucking heels in because there's a couple of cracks in the concrete, and it betters the WSL for the two months of the year that they come and bombard our environment. Uh, so I just, you know, I'm sorry, I'm a little hot under the collar because I just saw uh, something on Facebook, and that's where I get my news from. <sighs> Not, I mean, sometimes, yeah, but uh, fucking hell, Surf Coast Shire. Don't come near Winky. 
you're asking for a fight. Um, yeah, I said it. I said it. Anyway, um, uh, you know, if you're a single parent, this is a single parent. This is a shout out to single parents. I am giving a shout out to single parents. Parents in general, go for it. Awesome. But people who raise their children on their own, I am giving you a shout out because I don't know what made me think about it, but I was in somewhere the other day and I just really realized how hard it is out there in life and especially for single uh income people who are raising children and i look i tip my hat to you um and uh you know if you're out there this is a shout and i hope you're having a nice day um anyway i won't rabbit on any anymore i'll let um i'll let my conversation with lindley tantalize your ears for the next little bit um and whoever you are out there in the wide world i hope you're having a nice day you think this is, is interesting? Wow. Wait till you hear two hours of crap. A complete and total barfarama. How would the Surf Coast Shire facilitate industries like the surf industry or the tourism industry? Um, if there was to be a spill, how would they go about, um, I guess, helping people with job losses if that was to go ahead because i mean it's all a perceived hazard at this point in time yeah so it's all if buts and maybes but if it was to go ahead i was just asking how the council would react to that basically and then the second question i got to ask them was i actually went onto the council website and looked up their environmental um, initiatives and what they perceive as being environmentally friendly. And I think on their council website, it says something that Surf Coast Shire is all for the environment. It's basically this quote, and I used it against them to pretty much flip it on them and say, well, why won't you just stand up for the bite? And yeah, the next week we found out that they were completely on board with us. And Oh, really? Yeah. So it literally took a week. Was that the one when it was packed? Yeah. And those people pushed back out yeah, into the foyer? Yeah. Like yeah, way out. Yeah. yeah. So I was up there asking questions and that was really intimidating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was cool. It was very cool to be a part of and to know how council works because I've obviously never being into that situation so it's definitely a learning curve for me so do you think today a year later they're still on board yeah definitely and i mean there's now something like 20 plus councils along the southern coastline of australia mm-hmm. that are all on board and i think it's all has to start at a local level for it to get to what it is today i mean we saw two weeks ago or i think it was about two weeks ago that national paddle out day where something like 40,000 people paddled out on that Saturday against it so it really has snowballed into something that is not just local what it was a year ago but to national scale now so it's pretty impressive to see yeah it's awesome yeah um now I saw on Sean Doherty's Instagram that they were going to try and sneak something through on New Year's Eve something I think that's just what I perceive of that is that's you know so they gave Equinor 30 days to resubmit their environmental plan. Yeah. And then that gives NOPSEMA, so the regulatory body, 30 days to then either push it back or make comments on it. So I think it's more just regulation and what they've got to do. So it's that's just unfortunate timing where their 30 days lies. Okay. So yeah. it wasn't like a, a malicious kind of like... Uh, I don't think, <laughs> don't think so. I think it's just more that everyone will be on holidays and why... Um, announce it then but 
that is what it is, I think. You can drink your coffee. Yeah, I am going to drink my coffee. (laughs) It is very good. Okay, good. Um, So on the – have you always been – like when you're at school, was this a a hot topic for you? Um, So like me growing up personally, it always was. Like um, I guess it was when I was really young, my first environmental kind of cause or activism, I guess – exposure was my dad was super against the Basslink project so I grew up in Gippsland just outside of the Trobe Valley towards the coast and what the Basslink project was is was that near Lakes Entrance like not oh. quite the other end of the 90 mile beach so yeah. down towards like Yarram I basically lived between Turalgan and Yarram in the hills there so yeah my dad was super opposed to this Basslink uh, program which was connecting Tasmania to the coal-fired power stations of the Latrobe Valley um, so I was exp- how are they going to do that? It's all underground through the Bass Strait. So it's what? a big, ca- yeah. <laughs> and this is this is going on like twenty years ago. So I, that's what I was exposed to that super early. And obviously, then I went on to high school where I um, did was- that. Sorry, just cut you off. Did that go ahead? Yeah, that went ahead. So there are pipes that go from mainland to Tassie. Yeah, under the ocean. Yeah. How the fuck? Did I don't they know. Do that? That's a pretty big task but i guess because the population of the 90 mile beach is so low that they can kind of get away with it too because there's not like the population that we have here like the local beach where i grew up basically there's only like a population of about 30 people so do you know a pig farmer from down there (laughs) looks like a wizard who's a surfer old guy probably (laughs) everyone's related from (laughs) Gippsland, so no doubt (laughs) it's one guy i met a while ago on a surf trip he's a really good dude owned a pig farm down there so, anyway. I don't know a big part. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so then you you went into high, you were into mm. high school. So I went into high school and I kind of got exposed to this a subject called geography and I basically picked it up straight away and it was kind of the only real subject that I was engaged in at school and geography. Geography, yes, sounds super nerdy. It's the it's okay to be nerdy. It's in now. <laughs> I know. Like the first thing I did when I walked in was look at your map. Yeah, um, so yeah, it's subject of geography. So it's more than just place names or looking at a map. It's like the basically it's the study of people and place and how they interact. So you look at things like. Um, biomes, food security, human well-being, populations, like natural disasters. So geography has evolved since I was at school. Yeah, obviously. probably. Because yeah. like name this area. Yeah, on exactly. Map. Yeah. yeah, name the continents and yeah. all that kind of boring stuff. But no, it's super in depth and super interesting subject. And I guess because of my upbringing, um, I kind of latched onto it at school and was quite good at it and I guess I could think quite spatially in that regard so yeah I did really well at that subject at school and into year 12 I actually duxed year 12 geography and got one of Sean Doherty's books which is a random coincidence really yeah 10 years ago I got this did you tell him this I actually have to show him because it's it's so strange it's such a strange coincidence my mum just found it at home not that long ago so she's like you have to show him this that's awesome <laughs> yeah it's a really really weird um I guess full circle kind y- of thing yeah 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 so yeah and then I went on like it was the only subject at school 
that I really engaged with other than like creative arts and media projects and stuff. And were you you were surfing all through? I was surfing all through that. Yeah. Um, Though in Gippsland, surfing's not really a thing at all. Like I said, I grew up (laughs) in a tiny little beach and it was only my dad and my brother that surfed for all we could see if you look along the beach. So, and we did like surf trips every year, but yeah, I and went. did you find, was there good banks and stuff there? Is yeah, like, yeah, so <laughs> if you think about the 90 mile, most people just ride it off, yeah. but it really is like Martha's on King Island. Yeah, it's right. get, You get two swell directions, so you get it from the east ah. and you get it from the south if it can wrap around the prom. Yeah. So, yeah, it all kind of comes down to banks, but yeah, you get two different swell directions, so. And so... Yeah, right, which is a really sort of like California kind of vibe yeah, because you yeah. Yeah, get the swells from the north and the south yep. and get these corners. Exactly, Fuck yeah, so it's pretty good if you know when it's going to be good Yeah, and right. if you know the sand's going to be good. So yeah. And no one's ever surfing down there, so you can guarantee a bank to yourself. So, yeah, I would recommend it if you know when to time it. Um, but, yeah, so I finished year 12 and then went on to – do a double degree in arts and secondary education at Monash Uni. So that was with the idea that I would come out as a geography teacher as my backup career, basically. Um, Okay, as a backup career, what was your number one career? Oh, so for as long as I've, like, from about the age of 12, I've dreamed of, like, being super involved in the surf industry and surfing as my main career. So, but growing up in Gippsland, that's not a feasible option. Um, and I was always told that that's not ever going to happen for you. So you really need to have like a career path outside of that. So that's what I did. I went in and did the double degree and came out with as a secondary teacher, basically uh, qualified me to teach geography and environmental science. And uh, my minor was in Australian history. So yeah, yeah, uh, Australian history. Yeah. <laughs> What's that book? I've got the, I'm reading the, I just started it, The Batavia. Oh, I haven't read that. No. Do you know about that? Yeah, yeah. I do know about okay. it. That's about that ship off the west coast of... Well, I think it sailed around all the way around and came up Australia and ended up in Indonesia. But That's right. The story yeah. is supposedly... Yeah, pretty hectic. Yeah. <laughs> I would hate to be alive in that time, I think. So... Can you imagine, though? Let's just, just sidetrack for a second. Yeah. But, like, no phones... Oh, no just, rescue, no, just like we're going to hop in this boat. Imagine going along like that shipwreck coast um, off like Port Ferry and like Warrnambool and stuff and you hit a big swell, like you're basically fucked. Like, yeah, but then and like human rights, yeah. how was everyone treated? Oh, What's everyone eating? Exactly. The frame of mind. Yeah. Like fuck Every, one person gets sick on the ship, everyone gets sick on the ship. Like it's... It sucks. <laughs> Walk the plank. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks. Okay. We've got it pretty good this year. So um, you graduated and yep. you... Didn't go on to teaching, actually. I just, me and my partner, we um, decided to go overseas because we'd you know, gone from high school straight into university. Um, we spent six months in South America. Um, Did you? Surfing around South America. So hold on. So you left and went... Straight to South America? Yeah, I worked a summer here. I was working at Go Rider Wave just as a surf coach and just working as much as I could just to save as much money as I could. Um, And, yeah, pretty much flew from here to Buenos Aires with Hutch and we had no plans. We just had the flight, basically. And then from there we 
yeah, backpacked our way around South America, bought ourselves a surfboard and yeah, just traveled just and one? surfed. Yeah, we just had one and then we'd hire the other one because they're actually quite expensive when you got over there. Yeah. So we kind of couldn't have justify it to travel with two and it's really hard jumping on and off buses all the time and getting airfares and stuff. So we just got the one and usually we'd just like rotate or something or we'd manage to find a local and have another surfboard that we can use at the time so that was really cool where did you get it memorable waves uh sakurima in brazil where they hold the wsl event that was really cool we i actually we got in contact with the guy that runs the local surf school he ended up being like this massive legend and like i said to him that i did surf coaching at home and he got me involved with this program that um they got favela kids down and got them to surf and i couldn't speak a lick of Portuguese and they couldn't speak English, but it was like one of the most memorable experiences I've ever had. Like it was so much fun and yeah, that was really cool. And then obviously like once you got over to Peru, Shikama was really good. Libitos was really good. Like, yeah. How far up did you come? Um, so we went, flew into Argentina, had to boot right up to Brazil because of the World Cup of Soccer was on the same year. So we had to get through Rio before that because then prices of dorm rooms got went up to like a hundred Australian dollars a night just for a bunk bed so that kind of dictated our trip a little bit so we had to get through there and then back down the Brazilian coast through Uruguay so through Uruguay and then flew from Bolivia or flew from Uruguay to Bolivia went you know did the whole inland Machu Picchu thing yeah did you enjoy that yeah that was cool um super touristy yeah but um pretty cool to see Machu Picchu it's an amazing place in its own right like very breathtaking and so high up it's incredible what they could achieve how long ago how long ago was this yeah did they oh far out I don't even know yeah long time ago. yeah long time ago (laughs) come on Uh, miss geography yeah it's it's history and I oh yeah yeah yeah, don't know it at all (laughs) but they're the Aztecs and oh that might not even be right uh no I think that's right yeah that's Aztec yeah yeah I don't know. We'll don't go with it. Sounds good. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, went from there to um, Lima, surfed in Lima, and then all up the Peruvian coast through Ecuador, and then ended up flying out of um, Bogota in Colombia to Oh, yeah. What did Cal- you get up to there? <laughs> <laughs> Not what you're thinking. <laughs> right. Just, um, so I hear it's very beautiful. Oh, it is lovely. Oh, Colombia is the most beautiful country I've ever been to, honestly. Like the people there are just the most lovely, welcoming people. Like they've obviously gone through a whole lot of shit and a whole lot of civil war. Like they at one time had the highest number of internally displaced people in the world. Really? Yeah. So like internal, so basically internal refugees that didn't have Mm -hmm. homes. So when, when was that? That was through like the 1980s, and that's like Pablo Escobar era. No shit. Yeah. And is like, that is that a reflection of Pablo, or is that? Yeah. So that is? was all the kind of war on drugs and that fighting between like paramilitary and the army and all that kind of thing. Yeah, that caused basically widespread disruption. I think the statistic is something like one in three people knew someone that died. Like it's super yeah hectic period that's in right. their history basically, but. Now that it's opened up to tourism, they're really welcoming because they're trying to get that image out of people's heads, basically, and really show that it's a really lovely country. And 
yeah, that was a really beautiful place to end on. And then we flew from there to Calgary in Canada and lived in Banff in Alberta for a year doing the classic Australian ski season thing. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so that was really good. Like my Hutch is a really good snowboarder. So he loved that. I think he did something like 130 days in his season and yeah, he was crazy, but I mean, I, w- I was over there working for Quicksilver and yeah, just working in their retail store over there. It was such a cruisy job, man. Um, so yeah. How did that, you hook all that up? Was that just by chance or? Oh, like I literally just walked in there and they're like, oh yeah, you've got a job. <laughs> so I was pretty, I mean, I had a whole heap of experience working in surf shops I've worked in. Did you need visa or anything? Yeah. So you do need a. Oh, because it's Canada. It's Canada. Yeah, so yeah. it's part of the Commonwealth. So it's quite easy to get a working visa over there. Um, and yeah, we just did the snow season and the summer season in Banff because they're completely different um, seasons really because one's obviously you ski or snowboard and the other time of the year you can hike and do these all these amazing climbs and all that kind of thing. So yeah, an incredible part of the world as well. And then yeah, we basically after a year there we flew home and decided to move back to Janjuk. Um, my partner he got a job as a fiery with parks victoria in anglesey oh really yeah so that's what he does yeah. and then i i went back to go right away at the time with the idea that in the following year so what year was that 2016 that i would go into teaching and hopefully that would be my first year of teaching and i applied for you know i reckon it would have been like 50 60 jobs all around like all around the 50 state 50 or 60 yeah and that's kind of reflects how many teachers are kind of going out into the profession with how little job prospects there are so the, i thought that there was like not enough teachers no there's definitely a surplus of teachers right yeah and i guess maybe it's changing now because the i think I was talking to one of my friends that I went to uni with not that long ago and she said one in five people will drop out in their first five years of teaching. And I guess I was one of those statistics, but for other reasons. Um, so you applied for 50 or 60 jobs. Yeah, and the only job I got was out in Camperdown in Southwest. I was born in Camperdown. Really? There you go. <laughs> so I my first ever teaching job was at Camperdown College. Wow. Yeah, beautiful little town i yeah i i can't speak highly enough of that school good bakery oh amazing bakery (laughs) (laughs) best part of being in camper benchmark of any yeah amazing coffee too um yeah really great little town it kind of reminded me of like yarram which was the town that i grew up closest to basically um and yeah i so were you commuting yeah from here so it's about an hour and 20 minutes commute yeah um so long days yeah um, and what grade were you teaching? So I was teaching from year eight to year 12. So I taught year nine or year eight English, which I am 100% not qualified to teach. Were they respectful? They were good kids. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I, and I kind of was honest with them and said that I can't teach English, but I'll do my best. Mm-hmm. And they respected that. Um, and the class sizes at Campanown were so small. Like there's only 110 110 kids, I think, were at the school when I was there. It's definitely grown now, but... 110? 110. I actually would have thought that's quite a lot, but it's a little little area. Yeah, so there's two high schools in town. What? Yeah. 
Um, so there's Mercy Regional College and then there's the Camperdown College, which is P to 12, but there was only 110 in the high school. Mm. So it's actually quite small. So my biggest class was the year eights with 16 kids and my smallest class was five kids. So that's pretty unreal. Five. <laughs> five kids. Yeah, yeah, that is cool. So yeah, I taught year eight English, year nine humanities, which is basically geography and history. Uh, year 11, so senior geography and VCAL literacy, which is basically the kids that don't go through VCE and they pretty much come out with a year 12 leave certificate and you just kind of got to keep them occupied at school, which has turned out to be one of my favourite classes because you could kind of do whatever you wanted <laughs> with the kids. It was actually really fun. Yeah. yeah, and they're like final year, final project for the year was actually to put on a – to build – a mower that was capable of racing a mower yeah capable mower. Of yeah racing. so this thing goes like 60 clicks on a straight this thing's it hooks like it was so much fun to drive and l- mows a patch uh, no so they've got to take out the blades so oh, it's okay. purely racing <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but yeah it's a ride-on mower that they yeah. convert to a basically a almost like a go-kart really yeah it's pretty um, go-karty at 60 clicks yeah, yeah um they have to put on a race where all these other apparently it's a big thing around victoria that you race mowers so they their end of year project is yet to put on this race for everyone to come across from all parts of victoria to come down and race they put on like 10 12 races have to put on like catering everything like that so that's their project that you work towards towards the end of the year that's sick yeah it's really cool to be a part of that i've definitely never raced mowers but i can say i have done that now so you got so, to ride one yeah i got the to 60 ride click one yeah yeah it's i rode it around a track so you never actually get to 60 but man it's fun and yeah so it was like steering wheel yeah 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 full, so full, yeah thing. full acceleration yeah everything it's yeah basically you just sit on it and drive it like you would like a ride on mower but it goes fast yeah awesome yeah so that's yeah kind of a perk of being in a country school really <laughs> yeah. you just get to do whatever you want and yeah i got to teach like obviously i'm qualified to teach geography and history and that's yeah what i got to do but yeah it was i mean i traveled an hour and 20 minutes each way but it felt like I was going to go to work with some of my best mates every day. Like I love those kids. Like they'll forever, you know, hold the most special place in my heart. And like, I, yeah, what happens next is really pretty heavy part of my life. So so hold on, you would leave what time in the morning? Um, So I guess we had to be at school by 8.30. So I probably left about Seven. Just a bit before seven thirty. Yeah, and you get home about five thirty. So I generally would leave school right on three fifteen. I never really stayed oh, okay. around yeah, and yeah. did any of that kind of stuff. Um, but I'd be able to come home and surf. So oh, that's cool. Yeah, so I couldn't really complain. And you know, school holidays is obviously a bonus as well. So you'd get like long periods off in between the school year and. I thought that was kind of the closest thing I'd ever be to a professional like surfer when I was, um, you know, that holiday, it was a September school holidays and I just spent the whole two weeks surfing. Um, perfect like surf coast conditions, like three to four foot every day. And it was just amazing. And I was getting paid to do that basically. And yeah, on the final weekend of that school holidays, we were to move house into a new rental place 
in Janjak and then unfortunately we were moving in and there's basically what was a ship steering wheel suspended above the front door so it basically sat about eight or nine foot in the air right over the main entrance of the house and we were moving the fridge in and we knocked the corner of it it turns out Oh, so you knock, you again the fri- angling the fridge in the door. Yeah, just to go through to get it in the house yeah. through the main entrance. And you clip the edge and of the door frame. No, clip the edge of this um, ship steering wheel, which overhung the front door basically, and it came down and guillotined me across the face, like so. It hit me. This thing weighs, I think, like twenty four kilos yeah. um, of steel. pure steel and wood, like heavy heavy thing and it hit me just below my right eye across my right ear um and yeah the last thing i remember of that weekend is hutch telling me where to stand to lift the fridge up um i didn't so did he say it hit you in the head yeah yeah so there was four of us lifting it up like lifting the fridge up like me and my housemates basically and then yeah it came across struck me in the head struck my housemate's arm and he had a like immediate welt on his arm and I didn't like get knocked out per se but I was seriously concussed like I knew I was concussed but probably well I didn't take it as seriously because I didn't black out and I thought well you know if I did you have to sit down oh totally yeah Yeah. I yeah (laughs) Yeah. I pretty much sat out for the rest of the weekend and you know, it was grand final day that we moved in. So it was Saturday. All the, like the boys were just pretty keen to sit down and watch the footy, get enough inside that they can chill beers and put the TV on basically. Yeah, get that fridge plugged in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't remember that whole 48 hours. I know the Western Bulldogs played in the grand final. Don't know who they played. I can't remember. Um but yeah, that was it. And then I went back to school. So hold on, then while the footy was on and everything, you I know, was I was pretty much just sitting you, there. Yeah. Oh, so you were up though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was up. I was about. I'd had concussion before. I'd had yeah. uh, quite a few concussions prior to this one, and like, so I knew how to treat it and manage it, basically. And what do they say? No Panadol and don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep. Yeah. So that's what I did. I just kind of sat with everyone and pretended I was watching the footy, but I actually had no idea what was going on. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, went, had to start back at school on the Monday. So I did. And like over the course, so I was commuting. I was actually carpooling at the time. So I wasn't driving to camp down this week, which was probably a really good thing. But over the course of this following, you know, seven to 10 days, I was just getting progressively like, sicker and sicker and losing control of like everyday things or function and motor skills and basically how was your speech was it speech was fine it was my emotions that i kind of couldn't control at all and like i didn't know it at the time but now looking or reflecting back on it i can definitely see well there was some pretty big alarm bells there so yeah on the following monday i basically left school i knew i was really sick were you worried yeah i was at this point i rang patrick he's like oh i'm going for a surf you know just come with me maybe you'll feel better (laughs) so i went for a surf with him 
and I couldn't stand up. Oh. Like I couldn't stand up on my surfboard. And this is when yeah. things were like starting to really hit home that things aren't right. So I paddled in, went home, got myself in the shower and basically collapsed in bed and went to the doctors the next day. And I can't believe you didn't go nearly straight away. Well, I know. And that's probably one of the most detrimental things, but because I hadn't been knocked out, I didn't take it seriously. And because it's grand final day, the last thing I want to do is drag my housemates to emergency. Yeah, yeah. No, so sorry, I didn't mean then. I meant after you oh, got back from the Oh, I know. Yeah, I tried to, but couldn't get in anywhere because yeah. it was like, obviously I'm coming from Camperdown, so timing didn't work. But I went, got in the following morning, like straight away. Yeah. And the doctor basically told me I had a virus oh due to my symptoms that I was presenting with. Yeah. Um, and she knew that I'd got hit across the head, yeah. but still told me I had a virus. So I took, she gave me three days off. I took that three days off and then went back to a second doctor and she's like, oh, you've got concussion, just take two days off. And by this stage, like things were really starting to fall apart for me. Like I couldn't hold concentration. Like I was really starting to, you know, really get disorientated, couldn't remember what I was doing when I was doing it. Um, like really strange things were starting to happen. Were you feeling panicky? Yeah, like it, it was scary. Like yeah. I almost couldn't like to describe it to someone. Like I didn't feel like myself and something was, I knew something was That's really bad. Horrible, that yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, it's so scary. Anyway, so I went to a third doctor at a different clinic. Like I was over it at this point in time. And yeah, he's like, okay, you need emergency MRIs. Um, so I went in the following day, got emergency MRIs. Basically, I found out that I had a traumatic brain injury with um, severe bruising to both sides of my brain. So the right side where I had the blunt force trauma hit or where this wheel hit me. And then the left side of my brain where my brain ricocheted off my skull and bounced back. So severe, yeah, severe bruising to both sides of my brain and my brain had swelled to the capacity of my skull. So from there, I went and saw a neurotrauma specialist at Bowen Health and he, yeah, basically diagnosed me with a traumatic brain injury with severe post-concussion syndrome. He told me that I wouldn't return to teaching for the rest of the year. Um, and then, yeah, he told me two things. And one of those things, well, the first thing was things are going to get worse before they get better. And the second thing is you're not going to be the same person you were prior to your injury. And so basically that's when shit basically hit the fan for me. Um, so I had to quit my job. I had to walk away and basically say goodbye to 80 of your best mates. It's like breaking up with not one person but 80 people and just being like I don't I don't know what's going on I don't know if I'll see you again the most honestly the most heartbreaking thing I've ever had to do and I still feel like obviously you can hear it in my voice I hate it like thinking about having to leave that job but um yeah and so then basically all I could do was lay in bed so we had to wait for the... Did they, did they keep a good eye on you? Yeah, like, yeah, so I was under pretty big medical watch and um, part 
different people in my medical team would come to my house for those first initial weeks basically just to come and check up on me because I couldn't drive. Yeah. Um, so what happened was basically I had to wait for the bruising and swelling in my brain to subside. So do they get, is there any inflammatories for that or do you have to just, I mean, a Panadol one? and Nurofen is about all I could take. There was no actual drugs that I could take, but yeah, more or less it's just time. And he was right when things got worse before they got better. So basically I laid in a dark room for four months, um, waiting for my brain to, I guess, stop. Bleeding? I mean, no, no bleeds. Um, Just reduce inflammation. Reduce inflammation yeah. and like that bruising to really subside. Um yeah, my brain basically shut down my body as a defense mechanism. So I am not a big person to begin with, but I dropped down to about 42 kilos when I was um, at my sickest. So, yeah, my I couldn't do anything. I was too weak to do anything. All my energy was basically going to my brain. I couldn't be around any kind of stimulation. Basically... what? So sunlight as well? Yeah, sunlight yeah. or any kind of light. I couldn't watch movies. I couldn't look at my phone. I couldn't read. I couldn't listen to music. It was basically a waking coma in the worst possible way, really. So all this stuff like... Uh, so you're oversensitive to any sort yeah. of stimulation. Yeah. How was your frame of mind... Very bad. Bad, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean... I wasn't good like I unfortunately have had at that time thought about suicide because I mean I'd lost everything like I'd lost my job I had no idea when I was able to even return to any kind of work I'd lost yeah I guess freedom of life yeah all my health had gone um my perception of myself was completely gone like I it was like I had someone else's brain in my head like I had no control over what it was doing um I couldn't sleep I wasn't yeah so everything just it is bad like basically the best way I can describe it to people what it was like was if think about a time that you've been like severely hungover um and you can't you know you feel nauseous and you get the room spinning basically and you can't look at anything or move anywhere because you think you're going to vomit. That's basically what it felt like for me for the first. Couldn't eat. Couldn't eat. I had no energy to eat. Um, Had like obviously PTSD, anxiety, depression as a result of this as well. Um, Yeah, and it just the most horrible experience. Like I would never wish this upon anyone um, to sit in a dark room for four months. It's pretty, your mind goes, like you said, goes to some really horrendous places. And Hutch told me, oh, maybe 18 months ago now that he actually dreaded coming home from work because he didn't know what he'd walk into. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty heavy thing to hear from your partner in itself. Um, yeah, so... Good on your Hutch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, he's been amazing through all of this, so I, I really can't say a bad word about him. Um, so, yeah, it like just the most heavy period of my life. So so coming nearing the end of the four months, yeah, so when the, you're I, starting to sneak windows of 
Yeah, so the idea was that I was going to try and return to teaching for the following year, 2017. Basically, I lasted four days before I said, no, this, I can't do this. Like, I'm way too sick for this. And again, I had to turn around to the school and be like, no, this is it for good this time. Like, I have to leave. And unfortunately, you know, the kids started the year with me leaving. So that wasn't great. And they ended the last year with me leaving too. So, and that's when, like, that was when I had to focus everything on my house. Like, that was they basically said I wouldn't be returning to teaching in the foreseeable future. So that for that at that time was two years. Um, we're at three years and I haven't been able to return to a proper classroom per se. Um, and yeah, so at about the six month mark into my recovery, I was obviously starting to get a little bit better. I was able to start, you know, getting out of the house and like doing small things like walking along the beach, um, that kind of thing. So I was basically able to like start building up my capacity to live a normal life again. And So when your feet first touched the water. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was like freedom again. So, so um, did you notice all those just little things that you just... Yeah, so yeah. I basically had to learn to do everything again from scratch. Like it's like my brain did a restart at the age of 25 like full restart like I've had to learn to walk to talk everything over again and there's still things now that I didn't realize or I don't know that I've lost that I'm still learning to do again it's really surreal and strange to be like a full-grown adult but don't quite know how to act in like certain situations because since my injury I haven't been exposed to them so I'm kind of like yeah, starting my life over again at the age of 25. And that's a really weird thing to go through. So, yeah, the six-month mark. Does, does Hutch say things like, you, that used to make you really mad? Yeah, yeah. So so things like that. Or, you know, I, I, there was, I guess the easiest situation for me to, was when I went into that meeting when we talked about the fight for the bite. Um, and I'd never been in a meeting scenario since my um, since my injury. So I didn't know how to go about introducing myself to people. So I must have seemed really strange that I was really withdrawn and didn't, you know, shake people's hands and all this kind of stuff, but it's because I just didn't know. And that's and then, you know, going back and reflecting on that and I'll be like, oh, fuck, like that's, yeah. you know, that's my brain injury just being like you just, you know, haven't been exposed to that kind of thing. So, you know, it's learning through doing really – awkward things in day-to-day life but that you learn when you're a kid but now I'm relearning at the age of you know 28 yeah so Darn, I still yeah all the time as well. well that's what Hutch said he's like I do this shit all the time yeah. but um yeah so at the six month mark I basically started physiotherapy and because I had a lot of like balance issues and proprioception issues which means like my eyesight couldn't focus on things that were moving. Um, and obviously I was really unfit because I'd lost a whole heap of weight. Yeah, so, you didn't move for f- yeah, six months. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And so the physio, she asked me what like what sport I did before my injury and I basically just said surfing and she's like, really? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh, you know, what level of surfing were you? And I said, oh, you know, I was looking at going back into 
competitive surfing prior to having my injury basically and she's like well I actually think it might be the best thing for your recovery and I was like what and she's like yeah well it'll get you out of the house first and foremost it'll get you into nature which will be incredible for your mental health and it'll give you a purpose again what a legend I I know right so uh, for me that was like my silver lining like light bulb kind of moment I remember going home after having that appointment and sitting on the couch thinking, fuck, Lindley, like, you know, you're looking at two years at that time off, not being able to return to work, but you've just been told that the best thing you can do for yourself is surf. Like, you're an idiot if you don't make the most of this opportunity. So, I mean, albeit at the start that my capacity to surf was very low so it'd be 20 minutes every few days because it was so exhausting for me to do and I obviously had to get used to sitting in an uneven environment so when you're sitting on a surfboard you're constantly moving so my brain wasn't used to that at all so it would make me sick and make me nauseous again so it'd take me a few days to recover from that and like obviously that built up over time like where's three years now and I can surf all day maybe <laughs> if it was good enough yeah. and I could push myself that hard. But um, yeah, so basically got told that and about the same time I got told that, you know, it's time that you start returning to somewhat of a normal life by getting a job. And, you know, I sat down with my occupational therapist and she's like, well, you know, we've got to think of jobs um, – that would be low stimulation for your brain, something that you can easily do and something that won't tire you out very much. So basically the only thing I could think of that I could do really well was work in a surf shop. And I've worked in a surf shop since I was yeah 15 years old. Um, it was like my first job ever and outside of that three quarters of a year of teaching, that's all I've really ever done. Um, so being in Torquay, mm. I was in the prime position to be able to do that. Um, and I handed my resume out to all the surf shops in town. <laughs> and the next day I get a call back from Patagonia. And so that was my foot in the door basically. And I started as a casual retail assistant with Patagonia. I'm still a casual retail assistant with Patagonia because of my capacity to work. That's my job title. Yeah, yeah, so that was my foot in the door basically. And from there, like I've pushed myself to surf like every single day. Like that's, you know, still the reason that I get out of bed every day other than (laughs) for work. Um, And it's like surfing's given me everything and Patagonia has given me everything as a result. Like, well, if you're going to work for a surf company, it seems that Patagonia has the ethos that's swinging. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what got me the job in the in the end. Obviously, I have degrees in environmental science and geography and stuff, so it's obviously um, beneficial for them. And obviously, once my story got out and as to why I'm with the company and what I do and you know they found out that I was surfing they really supported me um they've looked after me with like boards and wetsuits and like 100% amazing like 
awesome just let me be me basically and yeah the rest is history and now we're fighting for the bite and this is my introduction to that life I guess so with the fighting for the bite um is there any other is there any other like behind the bite ecological disasters that are like okay if we win this battle what's in the next one yeah so down the track i've got no idea what we'll fight for next yes um but the idea is that we kind of close off the bite to all oil and gas drilling period so i think ultimately i think the greens like the political party want to um close it off entirely like similar to what New Zealand's done. They've said no um, oil or gas drilling as of 2020. Um, and they, yeah, basically want to sh- protect the bite as like a World Heritage site or UNESCO site. Yeah, yeah as it should yeah. be. It's like, yeah, sort of so, like the heart of our country. Yeah, exactly. And like such high biodiversity and everything like that. So that's the ultimate goal of all of this. And we just found out the other day that, Karoon, which is another oil and gas company, has pulled out of their leases in the bite. So really, we're just waiting for Equinor to pull out at this point in time. So just changing gears quickly. Yeah. I'm so stoked that you're here. And <laughs> yeah, to- it's pretty full on <laughs> story of how I got to here. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, it's and so stoked to see you in the water. Yeah. And now knowing your story, like it's, it's even more special, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I've put a lot of time and hours into the water over the last, you know, two and a bit years. Like every day, I'll try and get yeah. out there. Awesome. Yeah. Um. So just changing gears back, back to yep. the. Uh, oh my God! You let the coffee go. Cold. I know. I have. <laughs> I was talking too much. <laughs> um. So. What do you think, just because you're, you're saying about geography and geography was more than just like a pin, pinpoint on a map. Yep. Um, population. Yep. Do you think that's like behind all this oh, stuff? Oh, definitely. Like basically, it's going to sound strange, but I was um, like any environment where – one species gets too dominant, they become an invasive species um, and they start wrecking the environment for all other species. And basically that's what people are doing right now. Mm-hmm. We've overpopulated to a point and now we've got to keep up like demand and re- use a certain amount of resources to keep up with the population. And because we're like such a capitalistic society, it's just that we need the latest and greatest and people consume so much shit that they don't need. And basically that's driving up emissions at the end of the day because of, you know, transport, the raw materials needed to use, whatever that people are buying. On every level. Yeah, on every level. And, yeah, so basically we're creating this ecological disaster for ourselves in a way. Um, so, yeah, we have become a plague on the world in the most blunt terms. Um, but, yeah, we've st- studied, like, population, like, and I guess population controls. Like, so China bought in, oh, this might be, like, 30 years ago now, but the one-child po- policy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we've looked at that. 
as what not to do, but that's kind of more to do with Chinese culture. Well, weren't they just killing, were they killing the... Killing females because right, it yeah. was seen as... Because of the family name uh, Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, so legacy basically. And now they've got this problem where they've got too many males and not enough females, so they've got a huge imbalance. So that didn't work. Have they lifted that ban? Yeah, 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 that's not a thing anymore. Um, but, yeah, basically we've got this problem and it's going to come down to really people just not having kids. And educating there, women you know, is a, a huge movement. thing. What's but this? there's a movement with young people. Someone was telling me about it the other day. Yeah. There's all these young people banding together and choosing not to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can see that happening, actually. Um, but, yeah, and another thing, like, especially with, with developing countries, a huge part of that would be to educate women because if you educate a woman, she's going to go on to get a job and she's more likely to put off having kids for a lot longer and yeah. have fewer kids yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately that'll bring down like... That's kind of happening a little bit. Yeah, slowly. Oh, yeah, there definitely is. It's just not happening quick, quick enough. enough. And especially in places that are still considered developing countries where, you know, they rely so heavily on agriculture, they'll have a certain amount of kids so they can help with the family farm yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. So it's still exacerbating the problem. But I think overall as a global population, we are shifting that way and there is a huge obviously you know women's movement I guess happening at the moment with like me too and women getting up and about and doing all these amazing things but um yeah so that would be one of the solutions to it and again like global health care like so if you go global and it's just it's global healthcare sounds scary to me just because yeah. of the one world movement you know have you heard of this thing no go yeah, no, I don't really fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get called a conspiracy theorist but then I already get get called that's that, right but, yeah, I, I dig that yeah. um, well there's a there's supposedly the, the um, all the dollar the dollar yeah we used to be backed by gold and now yeah, it's backed by petrol yeah and I think there's a few countries left Syria maybe Iran who are still gold back yep they're all toppling uh, uh and so they're pushing this one and then it'll be currency and look i don't know i know there's no, people I'm, rolling I'm their of, fucking eyes yeah right yeah now. yeah yeah no but, but i'm with you now uh and then you once you make a one a one one thing you become like uh, i think this is why there's such a, a strain against brick brexit is because yeah. it's breaking away from the mold of every, everyone going towards like one, like what one. the european union is right. yeah i get you um yeah, that's. And that's. I guess I I have no idea. Like I can't comment on any. No, of that. no, that's I can't way either. Beyond me, like. Yeah, but I get what you're someone saying. Someone once told yeah. me. <laughs> I watched this thing on YouTube. <laughs> like. Yeah, yeah. Tinfoil hats are yeah, on, but yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there's all these different little things that we can do, but I think for the most part, like, at the moment, and I mean, climate change is such a controversial topic. And I, I hate it, like, because prior to 12 months ago, it was just my job to teach kids about climate change. It was never political. It was never anything like that. It was just scientific fact. Um, and I'm all for people, like, you know, questioning things and making their own minds up about stuff. Like, that's what you should do. Yeah, yeah. Um, you shouldn't just blindly believe everything. You should really go out and research for yourself. 
But, That's what um, the Buddha said. Exactly. <laughs> All those tinfoil conspiracists <laughs> on YouTube said too. So, YouTube told me. Yeah. Um, well, I can't even remember what I was talking about now. Um, You're making up your own mind and climate yeah, change. Yeah, so yeah, climate change obviously is a big controversial topic. But, I mean, there is like this local level movement that's happening at the moment like we can see it in Torquay with like fight for the bite and certain cafes going like no disposable cups like oh i love what like, ocean grinds done. yeah it's Yo, amazing they, like i saw those stats come out today like good on them like that that sets a standard they like, gave me a mug yeah, to leave with the exactly other like, like are you kidding this doesn't fit my cup holder what are you talking about <laughs> but um yeah so there is this like local movement and i guess all Big movements in time start at a local level. So if we can get people on board at a local level, it then spreads out to a national level and then bigger again. But the problem we have in Australia is that our government doesn't believe in climate change. Well, the media also... And the media is a huge issue You know, the other day I was like, because all the fires were happening in New South Wales and I just really wanted to know... It was what, hard to yeah, get what's actually happening. Exactly. Yeah. There was a lot of fodder. Fodder. Yeah. And so I look and it was like the way they were wording the front page of the Herald Sun yeah. was poo-pooing. It was like Yeah, going, like, you know, basically like high-level fire chiefs don't know what they're talking about, that kind of thing. And, well, they do. They've done their job for, you know, 30 years. Of course they're going to know what they're talking about. Like why are you denying like the CSIRO, like our main science organization or the Bureau of Meteorology. These guys, you know, Scott Morrison said the children should go back to school. Yeah, exactly. You know, you go, you go to the doctor to get medical advice. Well, if you need like advice on the state of the environment, you should go to climate scientists, but no, they're not telling the truth. So, you know, why listen to them? So that's a big problem within Australia at the moment. And I'm, it's frustrating. <laughs> well, no, it's a good conversation because it's happening on like everywhere I go. Like, yeah, from my parents. Yeah, definitely. To Me too. Kids and but yet you know, there seems to be a divide between the media, mm-hmm. all mainstream, yeah. and everyone what else's what's chat, everyone's chatter. Yeah, exactly. And this is, I guess, my problem with it is that climate change in itself has become like. Uh, I guess a political word that people just don't actually understand what climate change is, and that's I think again fueled by but the it's media. A, it's a natural phenomenon. Yeah, it is well. a natural phenomenon. It's happened yeah. like all through the Earth's lifetime, basically. Yeah, up and um, down. But what, where the controversy is basically, is so climate change talks about as like a definition is like long-term studies of things that can be measured like uh, average rainfall or temperatures. And basically they say that average temperatures are rising. And so where climate change gets a little bit controversial is in that global warming scenario of, so basically the sun reflects um, solar radiation to our, earth Mm -hmm. what doesn't go back gets reflected back into the atmosphere and basically we're adding to the first layer of our atmosphere which is called the troposphere um and we're making that thicker through emissions um so in the 80s we were burning a hole in the ozone layer 
basically yeah and now we're adding to the Tr- so the troposphere okay. so i don't know what whether the whole nose on though i that's a good question <laughs> i should probably <laughs> look that up um but yeah basically we're creating this greenhouse effect like you know how a greenhouse works you put it on plants and yeah, yeah, yeah. It traps heat. Yeah. So that's what we're doing to the earth, basically. Oh, because of because our we're emissions. making that layer thicker, the radiation's not going through. So it's trapping into our atmosphere, make, heating the entire earth, basically. So whatever radiation's coming from the sun and not getting through that layer because it's too thick now is actually staying within our atmosphere and warming the globe. So that's what global warming is in, and a, you say in that the most that, is that is that purely a coal thing is oh it, it's it coal oil just in terms of like everyday like the industrial revolution basically yeah, yeah yeah so anything that we use driving cars all of that crap um but yeah so that's what global warming is in the most basic of terms and I guess a lot of people don't... So if don't, it's happening naturally, we're just adding to yeah, it. Yeah, we're just exacerbating the problem, yeah. basically, um, which is the issue. And there is obviously a lot of controversy around whether it's happening or what to what extent it's happening. But basically, whether we like it or not, the Earth is heating. Well, we've had some of the hottest days around the world ever recorded. Exactly, we? and we've ha- we're on track to have the hottest summer on record. Like, I was looking at this graph the other day that you know the 10 hottest years have been in the last 20 years of since recorded data started in before the 1800s so that should say enough in its own right um so yeah there is a lot of controversy and there is a lot of misunderstanding and you know i hate it because uh, like i have to teach kids this stuff and it's so depressing like and you know they come to you with all these questions and they're full of anxiety and they shouldn't like we have all the answers in the world we just need our leaders to say okay let's do that or let's fund that or you know, let's reforest but you, areas you might get but, in the road of commerce yeah you know, like, exactly but the economy is going to take a hit well the economy is going to take a hit if we don't do anything so we're all just going to take a big hit yeah exactly <laughs> so you know it's just it's like bashing your head against the wall which is just yeah it's really frustrating and having that knowledge is really frustrating as well because like you watch the news every night i can't i can't watch watch, like channel seven or channel nine like that's no i don't have free to there (laughs) yeah i wouldn't either i just do netflix yeah yeah pretty much yeah exactly (laughs) yeah you can just choose whatever you want to watch then exactly you're back to youtube conspiracies exactly yeah well exactly ancient aliens yeah exactly area 51 (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i mean but again like local level and educating people on what it is and what the solutions are like everyone can do their part but at the end of the day like our government needs to step up and really take action and really start like we have this problem in this country where the biggest polluters don't pay tax at all which is terrible like we pay tax like and we don't pollute nearly on that level so you know why don't you just start who, who let's, let's name and shame who, who are the biggest polluters? Oh, like your bhp and all those big mining companies so multinational M- yeah multinationals yeah. that don't 
pay tax. So, you know, we should be taxing them and putting that money into environmental restoration projects. Like if we can reforest areas, like, you know. Do you know, some? sorry to cut you off, someone yeah. sent me something the other day and it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> it was like how much nature gives. Yeah. Like nature gives us oxygen. Gives nature us everything. Gives, it's know, life. It, just, it went through, but it just gave all these things that nature was giving to us freely every yeah, day. Yeah, and we're just taking away yeah, from it like uh, just exponentially. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we have to basically give back to that and we'll, we'll strike a balance again. But at the moment we've like definitely depleted the environment to a point that we really need to start putting back. Well, how many species are gone? Oh, like in Australia, it's pretty, I don't know, like uh, there is that talk of we're on that extinction path at the moment. But, you know, they were saying something about koalas almost functionally extinct in Australia. And they're like a national icon, but we can't even keep them alive. Like that's super sad. (laughs) Yeah, it's all pretty frustrating. (laughs) So, you know. So for you, the future... um you're gonna. You're hoping to stay in the Patagonia yeah. environmental yeah, role. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, hopefully, you know, I feel. Yeah, I'm gonna head down that path. But at the moment, like my health is still number one priority, and there's just too many variables in that at the moment where I can't commit to full time work, basically, yeah. and that's really unfortunate. In really, what's holding me back is pursuing that. So. Are you feeling stronger and stronger though? Yeah, definitely. Um, Getting there like all the time. And I mean, my sleep up until six months ago was, I was basically, um, what's it called when you don't get sleep? Insomnia? Oh, have you Uh, heard of um, uh, CBD? Yes. I hear people having amazing sleep results from CBD. I have heard that. Um, Even one of my uh, neurotrauma specialists actually recommended me that, even though it's not legal. She said you should start researching it, basically. Yeah, it's helping, like, healing of rheumatoid arthritis, cancers. Yeah, like, and again, one long. of those things that the government yeah, decides no. to control. But, so um, it comes from a weird plant. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's super illegal, but shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, my health is still number one priority, but hopefully I would like to think in the next 12 months I can pursue that. I mean, I am teaching with the Saltwater Institute, which is... Oh, yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, so the Saltwater Institute is basically a high-performance surf academy that runs every year for almost 10 weeks of the year, um, generally after the Rip Curl Pro is finished. Um, And basically what it is is a high-intensity, yeah, surf program where the kids... For local kids? Well, we've had international students um, come in from, like, France and everything for it so anyone can apply um but basically yeah what they do is they surf every morning from nine till 12 and then from one till five in the afternoon it's schoolwork like and what sort of schoolwork like so it's all not the, yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's like high performance coaching but it's all the curriculums all based around like surfing or the industry in some way so where i'm involved in that is i teach their environmental component of their curriculum so we've looked at things have fun yeah i know right it's like the perfect job for me it's like you know um blue water high on tv that was a big thing when i was growing up like 
on the ABC, I think it was. But yeah, this these kids have got like the best school ever. Um, I wish I had it when I was a girl. Maybe I'd care more about school. But um, yeah, so I teach their environmental um, component and we looked at the... So who is Kale part of that? Yeah, so he's one of the coaches. Dan yeah. Ross is a coach, Geordie Campbell um, and whoever else coaches for Surfing Victoria. I don't know. And, did, and so Sam, Sam agrees, st- the director, and he yeah. started this off the back of he actually has a snow program up at Mount Buller with Mansfield Secondary College. So yeah. this is the surf equivalent. There you so go. he lives by the seasons, basically. He does the surf um, academy and then goes up to Mount Buller and does the snow academy. That's all. Awesome. Yeah, it's pretty rad. In. Did you notice that severe light change yeah, there? Yeah, it was. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you almost had a blue thing going Yeah. On. So, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I work with that and it's a pretty rad school to be a part of, really. So where's that based? Jack? No, based at Surf Coast Secondary. So we just oh, okay. basically have a classroom out of there and we facilitate it out of there. And, yeah, they do all their coaching at Jack. Yeah. Well, that's a nice high note to finish on. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of been my reintroduction back to teaching because there's no way I could – through all the stress that teachers go through every day, like there's no way I can go back to that anytime soon with how my brain is. Like, you know, you're not only just thinking about yourself, but you're thinking about, you know, 25 students in your class across five different classes. Like I can't even look after myself at this point in time. So it's nice to just be able to teach, teach something I'm super passionate about um, and surf. And yeah, just to get back into the classroom in some regard even though it's not maybe where i'd like to be you are lucky that you're alive yeah oh hugely that's what i've been told by all my medical team (laughs) yeah it's crazy like when you know what you've lost you really like appreciate life in a totally totally different way did they, have they said, like, if that had a hit you, just a degree more, like, away? literally missed my temple by millimetres. Oh and, like, gosh. that's, yeah. yeah, yeah that's a good and one. if I, you know, hadn't have gone and, like, well, if that doctor hadn't have taken me seriously and pushed me on again, like, I could have just died at home because my brain just would have had enough. Yeah. So... Yeah, oh, Lindley. For real, hey. <laughs> yeah, that's my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm super stoked that you're sitting opposite me laughing and smiling. Yeah, I guess that's all I can do now. So, yeah. yeah. And keep shredding. Yeah. And keep teaching. Yeah. And keep getting doing, stronger. Yeah, doing what I do. Yeah. Lindley, thank you so much. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. Okay, there you have it. There was my chat with the lovely Lindley Hurrell. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you're inspired, um, as as inspired as I am, to embrace the day. You know, you just never know what's around the corner. You know, as a friend of mine, Kamina, says, we all we all have our own personal tsunamis, um, and and this is definitely Lindley's. And you know, we all have our own battles. Um, but whoever you are out there listening, I hope that this has inspired you to step into the day with with new vigor because who knows how long we've got. Um, and yeah, The dog groaned. She doesn't know either. Anyway, 
Thank you so much for listening, and um, until next time, arrivederci.